Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 250. Glad you could join us. We got some really interesting topics. This week was actually pretty jam-packed. So some really cool stuff I want to talk about. But let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Bait. Hey everybody, what's up? My name is Bait. I have survived midterms and so far surviving college in general, and I'm here to give my opinion about stuff and things. All right. Jay, you're up. Hello. My name is Colonel Jay, and I'm coming to you from an undisclosed location somewhere in the northeast of the United States as I plot to bring Skynet fully online and infiltrate more of your daily life, even though you don't really know that I'm probably already there. In fact, the device you're listening to me on, I'm probably watching you right now. And yes, I see the face you just made. Thank you. Ooh, that sounds kinky. Oh, dear. <laughs> Libby, you're up. Hi, I'm Libby, and I'm being watched by Jay somewhere. <laughs> Whatever turns you on. No. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Libby, and I am uh, extremely hyper because I am on my fourth cup of coffee today, so bear with me. What are you drinking? Just iced coffee. What she's not telling you is that the fourth cup she had, like, within ten minutes of each other, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's man. Only way that you have to even that out so that it kind of pairs down that sort of like pulse of caffeine is if you put somewhere between one and a half to two ounces of some sort of malted liquor in there. Oh, see, he knows me. <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing it out there that that probably will help even out the caffeine rush. Uh, so then at that point, instead of having a really hyper person, you just have a really alert drunk. Oh, my God. <laughs> so if you guys aren't aware, we've rebranded as uh, an alcohol podcast. That would actually, actually be a pretty good, pretty good episode. <laughs> so I got Kid Agro in the background. What were you saying, Jane? Oh, no, I was just, I was just laughing. It's, I'm sitting here literally uh, like I'm trying to make a cup of coffee in the hotel room and then I'm in. Because I'm trying to level out the multiple beers that I just had over at the, uh, the the one barbecue place in Pittsburgh, so I'm I'm basically trying to apply the inverse of the solution that I just gave Livy <laughs> alcohol uh, with coffee. So that so I, I'm basically trying to prove my theory here that I think that by the end of the show we can make this work. So if if she balances with alcohol and I balance with coffee, and at some point we sound coherent, we're on to some shit, and we probably need to talk about a patent. So based off of your ratio, how many cups of coffee do you need to uh, to realign yourself? I had to call down to room service for more. <laughs> All right. It's going to be a good show. Um, I'm Pokey Draven. I help host the show here. I do a lot of YouTube stuff. And, uh, yeah, glad to be here. So... Excuse me. Um, real interesting thing that we, we talked about, I mentioned it last week, and it might have come up even the week before that, but today was the day where uh, Hadian and CCP did their tech demo at GDC for Aether Wars. And this is a, it's purely a tech demo, but basically it's trying to showcase uh, a cloud computing network system that Hadian has come up with, with the idea that they wanted to have, or at least try to have, 10,000 people in a single instant space battle without time dilation. Um, and for those of you who aren't aware, EVE Online is, is known for very large space battles, but 
when they get up into like the thousands of people, the, the, the servers kind of explode. So what they've done is they've implemented a thing called time dilation, which basically slows down the speed of the game to allow the servers to have time to keep up with what's going on. Um, it, it works, but it's not really fun because it makes things last way longer than they should. So part of this partnership was trying to explore this technology to basically use cloud computing in a network sense to allow a lot of connections to the same 3D instant space and actually have something that's resembling, you know, a, a game and not like, a, you know, take three minutes to fire my gun once uh, time dilation situation you can eve online. So that was today. Um, and unfortunately, it was like in the middle of the day for North America. So uh, a lot of people who probably would have tried this just couldn't. I was at work at 1030, so I couldn't do it. But it worked out pretty well for people in Europe, and um, so I was watching some streams, and it, it was actually, it was pretty interesting. So, I mean, they, they pretty much just took assets from EVE Online and Valkyrie and just kind of threw them together into the space battle. And it was, it was definitely a tech demo. It was very rough. They weren't trying to do anything fancy with game mechanics. It was pretty much fly around like a Valkyrie ship and fire missiles at other, other people and try to get as many kills as you can in like a 30-minute period. And, uh, you know, I gotta say, it it was rough, but it, it worked. Like, you had crashes here and there from different streamers, but for the most part, it actually ran, which was pretty impressive. Um, the only problem is, is that probably due to the timing and the, and the the day of the week, they only got up to, I think it was a little over 3,800 actual live players. Um, like I said, North America probably couldn't participate very much because it was in the middle of the day. Uh, so what they did is they kind of seeded that number with bots so they were they were third-party connections that were there were ais that were connecting to the instance and they actually got a total count of the, the total count of connections up to over ten thousand people um so not really like a world record breaking thing of having more than ten thousand actual players but they did prove the point that the system could at least handle ten thousand connections without blowing up um which is pretty cool i mean it was it was a good proof of concept obviously it was still really rough it wasn't meant to be a polished experience but the point is it actually worked and to be honest, most games don't need 10,000 people in a single battle. I mean, EVE might be a, a rare exception there, but at least it shows that you can have a lot of connections into a single um, system and actually have to run, at least in some sense. I think with a lot of polish, this could actually, you know, be useful for, for a lot of things. Um, getting bigger battles, I mean, you, you have things like Battle Royale, where it's usually limited to about 100 people in most cases, but, you know, you could have larger player counts, and I think this technology is certainly the direction that that could go, um, and it might offer some interesting uh, gameplay opportunities, I think. So, I don't know if you guys got a chance to, to see or even heard about this, I know you've kind of been um, busy with midterms and, and work and stuff, but what are you guys' thoughts on this? Do you think it's, it's something that will actually be useful in the future? I think if the right people get their hands on it, it will. Um, the, obviously, it, it's sounding like, um, I think CCP has or at least EVE Online has a little bit to gain from it. I know that um, that one of the, the draws to EVE or the this big like thing about EVE it, it is obviously the big spaceship battles. But when you start to get talking to the people who, you know, are, are in it, tie-dye is that big thing that, uh, that people seem to... Um, dislike because like you said earlier you know you fire your, your your gun and then three minutes later you know you know if you if you landed a hit or whatever so um 
in that instance, I, I think it, it could be interesting from an Eve perspective to see if this does pan out. And um, and I assume if it works, then CCP would maybe look at maybe implementing that into uh, into the game. But I, I think other games out there, um, Planetside is the other like really big game that um, that get uh, that stands out that. Um, would it would be interesting to see how that works uh it, from like a, a, a i guess a first person shooter perspective um i just my general thoughts on this um i, I was only very vaguely tracking the the ether wars thing anything that expands instance like a single instance population for for like a game i think is valuable right now because we've kind of been at this sort of plateau for some, some time, and it, it does very greatly depend on the type of game you're talking about. So the, the vast majority of, like, first-person shooter games, uh, up until relatively recently with kind of the advent of, like, PUBG and Fortnite, they were pretty limited in terms of the number of players you had, like, kind of either cooperatively or competitively going at stuff. Um, I think that you know, EVE obviously had some, uh, you know, that was one of their kind of marquee things with these, like, sort of gigantic space battles, but as Pokey pointed out, there's some mechanics involved in that that, that would make it, uh, I'm not going to say not fun, because at that point you're literally a dot on the map with a several thousand other ships and you're hitting the F1 key and, and you're, 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 you're just, it's really more of the experience of being part of something that big and then you're on comms with everybody and you're, you can jump back and forth between these, this, this like sort of huge live social event is really what those kind of battles really tended to be. Um, I, you know, kind of, it plays differently for different audiences, but anything that is expanding that instance population or that, that sort of battle population uh, to larger and larger relevant groups, again, I think that's very valid and I think it's a good thing. I'm very curious to see how this works out. I have seen some other things. I remember when they, when some people were dabbling with the getting up to like 50 and a hundred entities or agents in a, in a given instance environment. But that was seen as some pretty pretty heavy duty stuff, and you know, particularly in terms of like a almost like an FPS type feel. Um, but if you get up into the thousands, or that you can claim you can hit the thousands um, with basically no lag, I think that is uh, got an incredible amount of promise. Uh, you, there's all kinds of things you can do at that point. Uh, instead of like fortniting it up with 100 people, you could imagine going all the way back to like mag days. And, and some of the things that you could extrapolate off of that, or you could, you know, imagine something like World of Tanks, if there were like 200 competitors in it and you're fighting across like seven different maps all simultaneously or something like that. It leads you to these, to the, you know, the visionary aspect of these really heavy hitting, you know, monumental battles. And there's something much more visceral about, that's, you know, trademarked by CCP, something much more visceral in terms of that experience, depending on the type of game you're playing. So if it's an FPS or like a more intimate gameplay feel, as opposed to your dot on the map, uh, I think that's a really powerful thing. I would love to see that in gaming at some point is where you could be that individual player, that, that vehicle, that one starfighter or whatever, but you're in an epic battle. Imagine if you're like in a Valkyrie ship and there's like this epic sort of Star Wars-esque battle going on around you. And that's not just the skybox. That's not window dressing. That's for real. There's, you know, that's pretty powerful. I think that'd be a great experience if if that's where this could lead. 
Yeah, I think you hit a good point there. And, and you know, you're, you're right in that, you know, personally, I think that the, the quote-unquote combat of an EVE space battle isn't terribly exciting in a big fleet setting. But regardless, you know, you look at some of the properties that, in, that CCP has put together, and it can be any company, it doesn't even have to be EVE Online, but where they've got, you know, EVE Online, they've got Valkyrie, and they've got Dust514. They have all these other properties and always a big hurdle that they had is they wanted to kind of link them together, but there was always this question of, well, if the battles get big, then time dilation kicks in. That kind of throws it off because you obviously can't slow a, an FPS game down like you can an EVE game. And it's always kind of been a hurdle, I think, in, in building that giant, you know, mixed combat feel where you could you could have very large space battles where, you know, you're on a, a ship and you hop out and you're on foot and and you climb into a big Titan or whatever. Um, it's always kind of been like not possible because you, you usually can't get enough people in a single instance to really make that feel like it's an actual space battle. I mean, I think mag is probably for in terms of like first person shooters, mag at 256 people in one instance and on a PS3 title with that was very impressive. It is still very impressive because you don't really see player counts like that even today. Um, like Battle Royale is usually, you know, a uh, hundred or so. So I think that if you can get those player counts up and you can actually maintain a frame rate that, that works with that number of people, you really can put together that really large scale mixed combat sort of experience. And I think people are, are dying for that. Um, I know Star Citizen is really trying to kind of go for that with you know, you, your character is something you really control, and then they climb into a ship, and, and you can do all that, but Star Citizen has trouble with performance and trying to get, you know, player counts larger than, like, a, a couple dozen, usually. Uh, and that's partially because of their engine, but I think just in general, that kind of experience is something people really crave. And if you could put something together that, that can deliver on that on a large scale, like you said, Jay, not have just a skyboxes and Doctor to look like a big space battle, actually having that... Um, would be really incredible. Um, and if you actually look at some, some of the screenshots for Aether Wars, um, some of the screenshots, I mean, the, the game was was rubber banding quite a bit. Like it had ten thousand connections. It was a it was it was a little rough, but I mean, it's proof of concept. But some of the screenshots, the still shots, were really pretty epic. I mean, you see these missiles flying everywhere and ships diving. Like it looked really badass. So you know, I think there's definitely value there. Um, I'm not sure if CCP will deliver on that or some other company, but. I think that you do have an opportunity here to, to develop a type of game that people really want, but just has been technologically impossible thus far because of limitations on network compatibility and, and latency. So yeah, no, I, like I said, it was it was really cool to watch. Um, like I said, it was it was definitely rough, um, but uh, I, I would I would like it if they did like a um, a weekend trial run. Like I know they were at GDC trying to to demo this technology at the convention. That's cool. Um, but it'd be really nice if they did it again on the weekend so the North American people had a better chance to, to give it a shot because currently CCP owns the record for the most number of players in a single battle for EVE Online. It's a little over 6,000, I think. <clears throat> it'd be great to see if they could actually break that. I mean, this isn't really a game, but just trying to get over that number of actual live players would be pretty cool, and that'd be fun to be a part of. So if they could do it on the weekend, that'd be really cool, but uh, we'll have to see. But the, yeah, they're, they're going to be posting stats and all that stuff. Um, I'll probably check back in next week and kind of give an update on some of the stuff they posted in, in terms of how it went and, and that sort of thing. So it should be good. Yeah, I think uh, I really like your idea of kind of a rerun in a, in a maybe a little bit more advantageous time slot for a different audience. 
I'm, I'm kind of interested in the, that they opened it up this way. I would have, um, unless they have something else in their pocket, I think it would have been kind of interesting to maybe open it up to like 5,000, done that once or twice, and then like the next weekend crank it up to, to 10,000 um, just to kind of see how, it, you know, at least in terms of their open cap. Uh, but yeah, I definitely concur that it's interesting. It's interesting enough that um, I, I think doing a rerun of it would be pretty solid. I think I think I think that would actually be very helpful. Unless maybe I mean you never know. Maybe they got all the data they needed. All, you know, you could argue that if you only got like thirty three thousand plus some some folks instead of uh, something that's pushing your cap of ten, you're, you're not real sure if that's achieving what they wanted, but. I, yeah, I, I don't. Th- I, I don't see as an outside observer, you know, aka a customer slash gamer. I, I don't see the downside of trying it again, but we're not really sure what is the data that they were trying to extrude from that that sort of experiment, though. Yeah, we'll have to see. I, I do know they did a, a thousand person like test battle for like the early adopters to sign up, um, like the week prior. Um, I wasn't involved in that. So they they did kind of ramp it up, but. Yeah, like I said, a rerun would be great. Um, I, I'd jump on I mean, I had a code. I just didn't have anything to do with it because I was at work. So it was unfortunate, but it would be cool to give it a shot. All right, so let's move along here. Uh, so probably the, the biggest news of the week would be um, Google announcing their new gaming platform. Um, this is called Stadia. Uh, I don't know if you guys – did you guys see anything about this uh, this week? Only on the Skype as I was reading that in an Uber ride coming back to my hotel. And then I was like, I literally turned to the Uber driver. and I was like, Hey man, did you hear about this shit from Google? And then he gives me like a 10 minute rundown of it. Okay. So I gave I definitely gave him a tip. It was good. Um, but I, I'm not sure what to think about this. Cause I, like I did not have watched any of the video, videos or anything like that. I literally just got a hot take from an Uber driver. And, uh, in, in all fairness, Waleed was pretty fucking on point though. So I, so I, I trust the judgment quite a bit. Probably more so than most of you. Uh, but that being said, I, 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 in a weird way, I'm almost, now that I think back in retrospect, I'm a little surprised that they haven't tried this before. Because you would think that this is a space they could operate in, you know, or they, they would have some muscle in there. I, I actually thought that Google's, you know, major foray would be more of trying to acquire an existing entity and then Googleizing it as opposed to just springing forth fully formed as though you were the goddess Athena from the skull of Zeus. Uh, and that coffee's definitely not evening out the amount of alcohol that I've had so far. I'm going to have to drink more. <laughs> You're killing me, man. Um, no, I mean, this this idea certainly isn't new. And, and let's I'll rewind it here for a second. So uh, basically what Stadia is is the concept that you have a cloud data center and it's got, you know, computers just built in the racks and racks of computers and that you're at home and you've got like your controller or whatever and you input a button press. The button press goes to Google server. Google server processes that as a button press inside a video game and then sends the visual back to you. So it's like you're playing a video game on a PC or a console, but instead of the console or PC sitting on your, your desk at home, it's over in the cloud. And so it allows you to have basically remote access to this with the idea being that the latency is low enough that it's not going to affect the gameplay. Um, and this is, this is you know, uh, it's been an appealing idea. It's not a new idea, certainly. Um, just because, I mean, if you think about it, I've got like a PlayStation 4 Pro sitting at my desk next to me. I only use it maybe four hours a day at the most. 
And then it's just sitting there doing nothing the rest of the time where, you know, someone could be using that processing power if it was stored in a, a locally or in, in a remote location where, you know, I, I log in, I'm using that GPU. And then when I go to bed, someone else in a different part of the world is using it. And you're sharing the hardware um, because you don't necessarily have to have that physical hardware there. But the limitation has always been latency and basically connection speed. So, you know, obviously when you're playing games, excuse me, um, if it's like some games you can kind of get away with some latency, but for the most part, you know, when I push the button, it needs to react immediately. And the speed just hasn't been there where I'm sending, you know, commands to the data center and it's able to process it and send back, you know, hopefully, you know, a 1080p plus at 60 frames a second image and keep that fast enough where I don't feel like there's a delay between my input and, you know, the, the result that I'm seeing on the screen. Um, so other places have tried this. I, I, I know I saw a video one maybe two months ago um, where it was kind of like a little device you plug into your, your router and it kind of acted as the bridge to, to the data center. But the idea is not new. But, you know, obviously when Google gets involved, they have quite a bit more oomph than, you know, your average, you know, tech startup. So this is why people are really paying attention to it because while people have tried and failed at this before because they just can't get the infrastructure to where it needs to be, um, Google does have some potential and it's, it's, you know, it's iffy, you know, like, okay, one, it's a press briefing, so it's always going to sound way better than it actually is. And it sounds pretty cool, but it's not going to be nearly that cool when it actually rolls out. So the idea is, is that with this service, um, there's no pricing, there's nothing like that. But the idea is that with this service is that anything that can run Google Chrome can use Stadia. So a good example they had is that I could be on YouTube and I could see an ad for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And the little ad plays and there's a button that says play now. And you can click on that button and within five seconds it connects to the Google server and it starts streaming back the video for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I can start playing the game within five seconds of clicking that button. Um, because I don't have to download anything. It's already on the cloud installed, ready to go. It just has to send me the, the visual data of what's appearing on the screen and I can play right away, um, which is certainly appealing. Uh, the, the idea that you don't have to download anything, you just give it a shot. Um, or tools like for streamers or streamer interaction where you could have, um, let's say I'm playing Resident Evil 2, right? And I'm streaming. Well, if I'm on the Stadia system and someone else goes, oh, I want to play too, they can basically click a button and it will copy over my instance of where I am in the game, everything exactly the way it is, over to them, and they can pick up playing right where I am. So if I'm in a certain part of the game and they want to give it a shot, they can hop right in and, and take it from there with the exact same game state that I was in. Um, or options like interacting with uh, viewers for like, let's say Apex Legends, where I can be streaming Apex Legends, someone clicks a button, it starts streaming Apex Legends directly to them and queues them up in line to, uh, you know, play against me in the next round. You know, that's, that's the kind of stuff they're looking at. Um, in terms of other options for streamers, the nice part is, and this is, this is probably a, a, pretty, a much bigger deal than people might think, Google owns YouTube, right? Most people stream to Twitch. That's, I mean, you, you, do have, you do have YouTube streamers, certainly that's a big group, but I think Twitch is probably kind of the, the number one slot for that. That's how usually when we measure popularity of a game, um, we'll look at what's trending on, on Twitch. 
Well, Google owns YouTube, so YouTube's going to get the priority on this. And the nice thing is, is that because I'm playing a game off of a computer that's in a data center on the cloud, and it's just sending me visual data, and I'm not having to upload anything, the only thing I'm sending out is my, my controller input, what it can do is, at a push of a button, copy that visual data it's sending me and send a copy of it to YouTube as well. So it allows you to basically stream what you're playing, but the stream upload isn't coming from your house. It's coming directly from the Google data center over to YouTube. So that's less, less um, stress on, on your computer, which is, which is nice. So, I mean, it, it, it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it, um, but I think there's probably some other concerns that people have, like, if my internet goes out, I can't access any of the games I own because they're all, you know, I don't actually have a physical copy of that information at my house. I have to connect to the internet to get it. Or if you live in Australia, Australia has notoriously shitty internet. Um, and there's just, there's no way they will have the internet speed to get this quality to them if they wanted to do it, which is a large part why Stadia is not actually releasing in Australia right now because the infrastructure isn't there for it. Um, so there's there's a lot of limitations here and it, it, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around it because, I mean, what they were saying was like, you can literally have a Google Chromecast, a little thing that little dongle that plugs into the, into the HDMI port of your TV, and that's enough. It doesn't have to be a computer, it doesn't have to be a laptop or a PC or a tablet or even a cell phone. It can be a Chromecast because it's running, it's effectively running Chrome on it and I can stream AAA games running at you know, a very, very high fidelity directly to my Chromecast without needing a computer, and I can play it on my TV within seconds because I don't have to download anything. I don't have to you know, load anything. It's just straight from the cloud. Um, so it's, it's interesting, but it's really hard to kind of get your head around. And I'd be kind of curious in your guys' thoughts on, you know, do you think this will be successful? Is it interesting? Do you think it's going to die in two years because... Google, you know, what do you guys think? I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to get. It's not that I can't get my head around the idea. It's more along the lines of uh, I, I'm trying to think through all of the. I mean, they're they're proposing a very different technical solution of what pretty much I think anybody else is doing. Um, and I'm I'm trying to in my head picture what is the space they're trying to fight for. Um, it, I mean, do do we? I guess my question to you is, do you see this or are they presenting it as direct competitor to like Xbox PlayStation or is this more of a competitor to the Switch? Because I don't really view the Switch as being a direct competitor to Xbox and PlayStation. It's, it's you know, it's basically like, you know, the difference between an SUV and a sedan. You know, they're, 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 they're equally valuable automobiles, but for different purposes and different audiences. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. I'm not sure how they're presenting it, but I, off the top of my head, it feels like this is more of a switch type competitor. And I, I think they're going to have a long way to fight something like Nintendo is what I think. So I don't think, I don't know that they're going to die. Cause really, I mean, if Google wants to, they can just out of sheer force of will and hate, you know, keep the thing alive. Um, I'm just, I'm really not sure what they're, what their path is to securing a foothold in the market is though. So I will say that I, I don't think just based off the presentation, they're really trying to take on Nintendo. I think Nintendo has kind of isolated itself um, 
pretty well by providing hardware and types of software that, that only really work with their own proprietary thing. Like you couldn't play the types of games that a Switch offers on, you know, your TV. It just, it, I mean, you could, but like, it's a different, like you said, it's a different purpose. It's a different kind of market they're going for. I would say that I think it's, they're trying to directly compete with Xbox and PlayStation. Um, they actually make a direct comparison between the processing power of the GPU and basically say that if you take a PlayStation Pro GPU and an Xbox X GPU and you combine them together, a single server connection for the the Stadia is actually stronger than both of those combined. So they're, they're definitely flexing on the processing power as compared to consoles. Um, you know, it's going to probably come down to if developers want to put their games on Stadia and the system actually works as, as advertised, it, it could be a competitor to those because you can take a controller, you can sit in front of your TV, there's zero difference between having, you know, a Stadia running on your internet connection versus a PlayStation, and it's going to probably look better because it's, it's running basically probably the PC version of the game. It's, it's going to have more processing power. It can afford to, to kind of push a little more oomph behind it because, again, it's not a box sitting on your table. It's a giant cloud network of, of GPUs out there. So I think there's definitely competition there. Um, the, other, the other market, I think, is going to be particularly for people who would like to play PC games and have a good internet connection, but don't necessarily have a good computer because you don't need processing power in your computer to run the game because that's being handled by the cloud. All you really need is a strong internet connection. So I think there's definitely a market they're going for. I, I actually wouldn't say Nintendo's really what they're, what they're shooting for. I think they know that it's, you know, PC players, um, particularly the subgroup that, that maybe wants to play PC games or play games on the same level of visual fidelity as as a PC and can't afford a gaming PC, or if they're wanting to try to pick up people who want that console experience of sitting on the couch, doing whatever. But, you know, it, it's, the same, it's the same experience, but it's at a higher fidelity because they're playing, like, the PC version of the game rather than maybe a potentially more limited console version. So I think there's... There's a, there's a group they're going for. Um, I think that the, so the, the real the real clincher is going to be: Do people's internet actually is there is the internet good enough to actually handle this? And are people going to be accepting of the idea that if I lose internet, I have no access to my games at all because there's nothing I, I can't even play like an offline mode. Like if I can't connect to the network, I've got nothing. And I'm not sure how much the market will go for that. You know, it, it's tough to say. I think. You know, for example, like, you know, maybe younger kids that, that want to play Fortnite or something and they just want a quick access to it and they want to have it running at a super high fidelity and looks really great, you know, or, or Minecraft for that example. They're going to jump on that because they, they probably don't have the disposable income to buy a computer, you know. Um, but they it's, it's appealing, right? Like if I buy Minecraft and it's on Stadia and it can run and look way better on the Stadia system than it can on my my dad's clunker PC, I'm going to go for the better version. You know, I, I think there's there's value there. Um, it's just a matter of if the network infrastructure can handle it or not. No, I I, I definitely I definitely see where you're at on that. Um, it, it kind of makes me wonder: Are they betting heavy on something like 5G being pervasive? You know, at some point in the near future. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, the reality is, everybody's. I mean, you're going to get more and more. Uh, 
like connectivity globally. Uh, you know, I mean, there's so you could say that this is not a bad bet long term if they're willing to play the long term game. Um, and and in some in some degree, we've kind of talked about this with the other with like the more traditional you know console you know offerings in terms of uh, you know the Microsofts and the Sony's that there, there is a, a school of thought that they're going to go to more of a uh, almost an Apple TV model type type gaming setup anyway at some point. Um, this might just be the first foray into that. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly interested to, to see what they come up with. But at the end of the day, what's going to really happen is no matter what their technical solution is, what's their library of games and how many people are going to migrate to it versus something else. Uh, so if they've got a really kick-ass library of games, they can demonstrate that you can you can play fairly seamlessly. Um, they got a shot. I think so, uh, but like I said, those are some big ifs in there, and we've seen we've seen some other people make some forays into into the game uh, the game system world or game ecosphere world. What is different though is I think none of them had the uh, you know the ask that that Google does, and from a financial standpoint and an organizational standpoint. So from that angle, they've certainly got all the advantages you would need to have to get into to what is a fairly tightly controlled space between basically three companies. You know, that, like, if there's somebody that can muscle into that, it's probably them. Um, I, I honestly would have thought that they would have tried to have pulled more of an epic move. If I were, you know, as I kind of do some frenzy saw this in my head, I thought it would have been a more, it would have been a more likely space that they would have went after, like, you know, beating down steam and trying to set themselves up as a, you know, uh, a peer competitor to like Epic, I, I, I would have assumed that they would have went that route first. That being said, if they like I said if they can pull this off, this might be pretty cool. You know, I, I think it, it definitely can be cool, but you know, probably my hot take on it would be that even, just like some reports of people testing this thing like early on, it's not there yet, and I, I don't think it's going to perform nearly as well as their advertising. I think. You know, maybe in five years, when networks get better, they polish this out more, they build up more of a library of games. Um, I think then it'll probably do well. I, I think the big difference is between Google and somebody else is Google will probably, like you said, just forcefully keep it running until, because they, they have so much money they don't care. They'll just keep it going and kind of wait for the networks to get to where it needs to be. I think in, in, in large part, their their strategy here was like, other people have done it, but if we, you know, really hit the hit the anvil really hard here and, and make a big big noise, and people notice, we can kind of be at the top of the top of the food chain. People will keep us in mind as we move forward because they can get developers on and they can kind of wait it out and get and get networks to where they need to be and get the thing actually working as advertised. It, it could be a big deal. I mean, how many people did we we talk to? You know that, you know, wanted to play PC games but just can't afford it. Well, if it's like, hey, don't worry about it, just buy the game and it's on Stadia and you can just play the PC version of the game, no problem. That's a big deal to some people. Um, but again, it has to work. And I don't think it's going to work this year. I mean, it's, it's launching this year, but it's not going to work this year. It's not going to work next year. You give it five years or so, it'll probably, if it's still around, continue to be, it'll probably be pretty good then. But, you know, really we'll think five, five years? Well, maybe. I mean, that's that's a long time. I mean, I see them launching this year and maybe, 
I mean, they're going to have to work out a lot of stuff because, I mean, they're really assuming that more people have the high-speed internet than not. I think it's how many people are going to jump on initially is, you know, I don't know. I, I think in a couple of years, I think we'll see something evolve from this. I mean, it's, it's possible. It also comes down, and you brought up a good point with people's internet. You know, you have the speed, but in some cases you don't have the bandwidth in terms of how much data you can download. Um, my brother was mentioning when he's looking this up, they were estimating about 20 gigs of data every hour um, just to play the game. I even like, because you're, you're streaming basically a high, high def image the whole time. Um, some people have, have data caps, you know, like Livy and I were on an old plan and we had to upgrade to an, to an unlimited plan. Now we pay out the ass for it. But because we're heavy users and we stream a lot, we play a lot of games and we upload stuff. Um, we needed to upgrade our internet, not to get more speed, but just to have more data caps. So, you know, that, that could be a limiting factor for some people. Our network out here is pretty good, but that's not always the case for, for everyone around the country. So, or around the world for that matter. So it, it, it's going to depend, I think, very heavily on how network technology advances. And, and I'm probably being overly conservative and saying like five years, it could be a couple of years, but is it going to be like the smash hit, you know, in 2019? I don't think so. I think it's going to take a little bit of time to kind of ramp up, but it, it could get there and it could be a real competitor to, you know, some of the, the, the big, the big giants out there. Now, what I'm really curious to see is that, you know, there's been rumors for God, I think probably over a year now, that the PlayStation 5 is going to take on kind of a similar model work where PlayStation is going to push a lot more for streaming type capabilities. And it's going to get real interesting if that's the direction that the consoles go with it, because now it's we're delivering on the same concept. It's just how well can I deliver on it? And that'll be really interesting to see if you get Google, Microsoft and you know Sony duking it out for that type of experience. Well, I, I think, I mean, you know, my guess is that's the way it's going to go one way, you know, eventually in any way. And really you're not going to, then you're not going to have this, you know, console version, PC version of a game. You're going to have, I think you're probably will still have system or in-house developer exclusive type stuff. Um, but I, I think you're going to get less and less console versus PC. Cause if once you, once you get the technology down and then, you know, really the only difference at that point is, What's your interface mechanism? What's the human machine interface mechanism? Is it a controller or is it a keyboard and mouse? It doesn't really give a fuck. You just need the thing that plugs you into the into the matrix, so to speak. Um, and, and then people can play with whatever they wish. Uh, but you'll ultimately, quote unquote, all be playing PC version. Is is you'll just have like a version. I, I actually think that is the way they're gonna that all this is gonna end up. Uh, now, to that point, it may take the five years, Pokey, to get to that. Um, what I, I, am in, I am kind of with you. I'm interested to see if they deliver and it's a viable technology, even if the, like the game library is shady or, you know, that they're, you know there's, hey, the, the, you know, the controller is kind of shitty or something like that. But if they can deliver on the technology the, the, and they can have at least a, a respectable minority market share, and by the way, most gamers actually end up owning more than one type of system. That's just that's sort of how it works out. Um, but if but if they do okay and the technology's there, I, I cannot see a path that Microsoft and Sony and maybe even somebody like Epic um, don't attack that problem and and try to start going that way. I mean, I just it just 
it doesn't seem like that. It, it seems like that is the most likely course of action for everyone. No, I, I think that's that's ultimately, regardless of time scale, where things are going to end up because it's it's getting to the point where, you know, internet connection is no longer a luxury. It's it's almost an, an expectation nowadays. So I mean, the the fact that you you can now safely assume if someone buys my product, they're going to have an internet connection. I can safely deploy a game and update it on the first day because they're going to have an internet connection. It's not true for everyone, but it, it's getting to the point where it pretty much is. Well, um, think about it. It's true enough that there ain't no game that comes out that doesn't do that. Correct. Like, I'm trying to think just off the top of my head, any game that I, I've gotten recently that doesn't have a day one patch. I, I think Outside nope. God of War. <clears throat> well, yeah, because it's offline. <laughs> it's straightforward. <laughs> no, but I mean, think about it. Outside of God of War, um, there's very few games that don't require an internet connection. It's not even about the DLC. It's about how it's or not even about a patch. It's just their content push mechanisms and the other thing they're doing. Anything that has co-op or PvP, which is the vast majority of games, it requires an internet connection. So I, th- I think we're beyond the point where I, I think you're 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 accurate, Pokey. Is what I'm kind of I'm kind of augmenting your comment. Yeah. Uh, I think we're beyond that point where. Uh, internet connectivity is is the limiting factor. Uh, now you can argue that there are still a lot of places globally that connectivity might be a challenge, but you know unless you're in fucking Perth, Australia or Omaha, Nebraska, kind of the same place, um, you, you probably have the potential to access good enough internet. And what it strikes me is that I, I bet you, just like in your CP, like if you want. If you want to run a really high-end version of, uh, like, God of War or uh, whatever the most baller-ass, you know, visual video game is on PC, I don't know what that would be, but whatever the the most hard-hitting thing that you, you like, makes Alienware shit just whine out like a turban, you can always back down your your settings in terms of, you know, the the quality that you want. So I, I would suspect that that's what you would end up doing. You would build everything high end, and then based on your internet connection, just like based on your PC capability, that's the quality level you got. Now, what I do think this does is it, it offers more and more people access to those kind of games because, like you said, it's not really dependent on the PC. It is dependent on the internet connection. I mean, so I, I don't know if that trades anything off, but to me, that that strikes me as um, you know not not a bad outcome. You know, in the end, over the next couple of years, it's not a bad outcome for the market generally. At least that's, that's, how, that's how I'd kind of see it, though. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. And, and I think Libby was actually telling me that the Division 2, the, the download was like 90 gigabytes. Like, it was absolutely massive. And I was kind of like, is this thing come on two discs? Because I think a, a Blu-ray, even like a, like a dual-layer Blu-ray maxes out at around 50 gigs. And, and Libby, were you saying that you, you get a, if you buy a physical copy of Division 2, you actually get, like, like, you get the rest of the game and the download. Yeah, it's like 50 gigs on the disc, and you have to download the other half of the game once you put it in your, your PS4. I mean, that's understandable, though, because, I mean, for some people who get the physical copy, I mean, I don't know. I guess if you aren't playing online, it's you kind of feel chipped. I don't <laughs> think you can play offline is the thing. You have to play Division online. So if you want to play the game, you have to have an internet connection, so they make that assumption of you need to download it. you know. But it's to that point now where it's like, you know, especially for multiplayer games, like 
if you want to play the game, you're going to be online anyway, so we're just going to download half of it. Exactly. And I think it, as much as we hate patches and all that, I mean, it really, from um, in my world, <laughs> uh, whenever you want to push an update or fix a bug or make sure everyone's on the same version of the game, I, I feel like they've relied heavily on the ability to push updates because people are online. I, I really think the model of buying a game off the shelf and it just being ready to play and done I think we're done seeing that for most of these, you know, AAA games. Well, I mean, as complexity goes up, the the space for mistakes and, and needed fixes is obviously going to increase. But yeah, I mean, patches don't bother me that much, to be honest. Like, I, I don't. I'm, I'm lucky enough that my internet's fast, and I don't have a, a download cap anymore, so I, it doesn't. It's not a big deal for me. But you know, for some people, it is. And and like you said, to your point, Jay, it's going to come down to you know this is the way it's going and people just are going to be okay with it in the long run because connectivity has gone up so much. It's not going to stop. It's not going to go, well, we're going to sit at the same internet speed for, you know, the next 20 years. It's going to continue to increase and get better and, and, and then work. So going to this type of model makes sense. Um, I think it's just going to be, are people mentally ready for it where they can make that shift? Cause it is a pretty drastic change in, in thought process. And I'm not, getting a game or downloading a game it's just i play a game and the only thing i have to supply for myself is a controller and a tv you know um and am i okay with not having a physical copy of that am i okay with needing internet connection um you know it's, it's a little scary but at the same time I, I look back and go i've you know we, we moved into this house you know uh, i think it was october last year we've lost the internet like once for like five minutes um so i mean it wasn't that big of a deal but it is that mental leap to go, I'm okay with the idea that I need to be connected to the internet if I want to play my game, you know? Well, people will get there. It's just going to take some time, I think. Okay, um, I think we're pretty good on that topic. I'm going to move along to a couple small things. Um, so Zell actually provided this one. So Quantic Dreams, I don't know if anyone's familiar with that game, with that company, but you've probably heard of the games they've made. Um, Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and Detroit Become Human. They've previously always been PlayStation exclusives. Um, they are bringing them to PC now, but they're going to be exclusively sold through the Epic Game Store for, I think it's a year, like a year they'll be exclusive, and after that they'll, they'll sell on other platforms. So this is probably an Epic Game Store purchased, you know, exclusivity deal, but um, that's coming. Um, I, let me see what date they're talking about here. Yeah, the article doesn't have a date on it yet, so it's it's in the near future. But we'll we'll keep an update on that one because I mean those those games are usually done pretty well. People tend to like them. They're kind of playable story type games, not quite like Telltale, but more of like they're, it's definitely focused on the narrative more than like the you know gameplay or actiony uh, sort of thing. So they're, they're interesting games. Um, I've played Heavy Rain. Uh, I haven't played the other two, but you know I, I liked what I saw with that one. So the fact that that's no longer going to be a PS4 exclusive might be exciting to some people who are playing on PC. Um, another thing that Zell wanted to bring up was that uh, Heroes of the Storm, that's kind of the uh, MOBA game done by Blizzard. Uh, they've really scaled back their production lately. Um, just That's probably a bad way to put it. They've scaled back their staff on it just because they're, they're kind of, you know, bringing it more into a less for like pushing forward with a lot of updates and more just kind of maintaining but what they've done is they have removed um, the option to buy loot boxes. Previously, uh, they had a cosmetic system where you could buy loot boxes, you could get the cosmetics applied to the characters. Cool. 
Um, they've removed the option to buy those loot boxes with, with real-world cash. You can still get them through gameplay. So as you're playing and progressing, getting experience, um, you'll get the loot boxes. It's kind of like Destiny 2's model with the, the engrams. Um, but they've also drastically increased um, the, uh, the number of things you can directly buy, just straight up buy. Um, which is kind of interesting, and it makes me kind of wonder if, if some of these bigger companies are, are seeing the writing on the wall and going, uh, loot boxes have, have been taking a really nasty twist lately, um, and, and really pulling back on them and, and trying not to push so hard into that randomized you know, reward system and focus more on just selling things directly. I, I'm a huge fan of that. I do not care for buying loot boxes. I, I think they can be fun when you get them for free, like... Destiny's model's pretty good. Like, I, I, they're fun to open. You get something cool, you know, cool uh, ornament for some exotic. That's fun. But I hate buying them because nothing's worse than, you know, handing over your, your five bucks and you get a pile of crap. Um, personally, not fun for me. So I'm glad to see that they're kind of moving away from those. I don't play Heroes of the Storm, but it is good to see that at least, you know, some bigger names in the industry like Blizzard are going, eh, maybe this isn't the best way to, to, to monetize our game. So that's that's also really good to see. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, today is that I am a weak and pathetic person, and I have bent to the will of others, and Livy convinced me um, to buy The Division 2. After You're going to lay this on me? I'm absolutely laying this on you. <laughs> All right, hold on. I just want to make sure I, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I've got my recorder on. Okay. So what you're saying is that Livy made you do it. She so made me do it. You've done a bad thing that you knew you shouldn't have done, and then at some point you're going to regret. And then, out of sheer peer pressure, because all my friends, all two of you, well, three counting Bate, but Bate doesn't play games anymore, like are now playing the division, it's going to force me into a bad purchase too. This is what you're saying. I'm, I, am, I am. Can not. I can I get that? Can you can you can I get a quote from you? For, for for the record, I am in no means endorsing or encouraging or advising Jay to purchase The Division 2. Because last time I told him to get a game, it was Monster Hunter, and I'm never going to hear the fucking end of it. So if Jay purchases I, The Division 2, it is purely on his own will and potentially slightly drunk mind that he makes his purchase. I it has never, nothing to do with me. I never blamed you, not once, for Monster Hunter World. I would like to, however, point out for the record that you use the word slam dunk like some, like, you know, government hippo trash that was, like, talking to George Bush just, just after 9-11. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> okay, so to, to, to be fair, Libby talked me into it, but I was like, ah, fine. So it's not her fault. I was just weak. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I bought the Division two. And I will say that the experience post-launch is much better than the two experiences I had during the beta. Um, the game has, they've made a lot of fixes in terms of performance. It's still got some weird oddities, but it hasn't been too bad. Um, the only really game-breaking glitch, which actually they've mostly fixed now, I'll probably be trying out later tonight, was that there was a glitch where when you used your abilities, it would just cancel like two seconds later and then go into cooldown. Um, it, it was kind of awful, um, but they've apparently fixed like 80% of the instances of it, and they're working on fixing the rest of it. So that was shitty. But overall, the experience has been much better. I think because the way the beta worked, it was basically the opening mission and then like one or two story missions after that. 
Um, and it, it's it's just a little slow. Like it's not a really great first offering when you pull the game up. Once you get a little bit deeper in, it does get quite a bit better. Um, and I think with some of the fixes they've made to the performance of the game um, and just like I said, fixing glitches and, and just kind of letting me kind of get a little more into it and, and feel it out, it has been a lot better. Um, now, to be fair, Division 1 was really good during the story and then fell apart in the end game. Um, but Division 2, I haven't gotten to the end game yet, obviously. Uh, they've obviously they've, they've been very clear that that is a primary focus of their development was the end game. So I would hope it would be better than Division 1, but I'm not saying that a good campaign means that the whole game is good because Division 1 had a good campaign. And on launch, that game was not great um, once you got past the, the initial offering of, of the story. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's been pretty good. I haven't played enough of it to really, to really put all of my thoughts together on it, but you know, it, it, like I said, it's, it's been a lot better. Um, the shooting feels pretty good. Um, the glitches are like, are, are much better now. Uh, the skills were kind of broken, so it's hard to, to feel them out. I, I still think some of the skills are overly situational and I'm just going to shy away from them. But if you focus on the stuff that's a little more straightforward, they, they work really well. Like the little assault turret you deploy is like an absolute monster. Um, it's really fun to use. So the, I'm not impressed with all of the abilities, but some of the ones that I do like are, are really done quite well. Um, also, this is kind of related to our, our, our last topic. The monetization is super, super reasonable. Like, like shockingly good in terms of how they do it. Like it's all cosmetic stuff like emotes and pants and shirts and shit, you know, for your character. Um, but like the cheapest things are like a dollar an item and the most expensive are like three fifty or something like that. Or if you buy like the whole set, you get like a 25% discount on, on what they would have cost a la carte. Like if you just want to get like a hat, it's going to cost you a couple bucks. This isn't like, you know, fall 76 where a paint job for your gun is going to cost you $14. It's like, it's, it's perfectly in that kind of like impulse buy range where like, oh, I like that. It's only two bucks. Sure. Here you go. Um, super reasonable there. There, there are loot boxes that you can purchase, but I, from what I can tell, literally everything in the store you can direct buy the loot box is more of a, if you want to, you can, um, you'll also get some through gameplay and they also have like guaranteed rarities. So like if you get like a, a rare box, it always guarantees at least a rare item or like a, a superior box is always a superior item. Um, so at least you have a little more agency in what you're paying for. And I think those are like a dollar and two fifty respectively. So if you like loot boxes, they're there. Um, or if you just want to get them for free from playing, you can do that. Or if you just want to buy the thing, it's like reasonably inexpensive. Um, really refreshing to see that like that's that's what i like to see um i think if, if destiny 2 went a little more towards that direction it'd be even better but yeah i really like that but Livy, what are, what are your thoughts on so far um before i ramble too much <laughs> before you ramble too much before you say everything um the game that everyone forgot to cancel their pre-order on i don't know i like it so far um I'm so basic. I'm just kind of like happy that our little group is playing that I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still working on how to figure out the deployables, but we'll get there. So let me just, if you could, uh, between the two of you, um, how, 
how would you summarize what you're experiencing with Division Two versus what you experienced in Division One? And, and and I fully admit that I played like kind of the first half of Division, you know, like the first like six months of Division when it came out, and that's which was ultimately the version that drove most people away. I freely admit that I and, and totally understand. I watched that. It was a very good video by Skill Up, by the way, that, that went into depth on this. That how they how Ubisoft really did a huge C turn on the um, on Division as a franchise in terms of the work they put into it. I did not pick up that latter version. Okay, so I, I I'm not familiar with it. I'm just kind of curious. What are your guys' thoughts on like what would somebody who played D, you know Division One uh, maybe you know what, what would they be experiencing that is different that you think is probably noteworthy. So I mean, there was a lot of quality of life changes and I, and we didn't play the later part of division one either, but going in and going, Oh God, they finally fixed that. I think the UI is cleaner. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Quality of life changes for me. Yeah. So to, to be clear, Jay, I think we probably played division one, probably about six months longer than you did at memory serves. Um, now we did also stopped playing at one point and a lot of those really major shifts they made happened after that. But like, like you said, skill had a very good video explaining kind of why it got a lot better. And, and I just never got back to it, but it sounded like it was, it was, it was a pretty good turnaround. I would say that with division two, there is not a drastic change in terms of what it's trying to accomplish or, or the kind of gameplay you should expect. Um, it's, it's the minor stuff. And like Libby said, a lot of the quality of life stuff. So like your character moves a little bit better. It, it feels a little more mobile. It's a little more responsive. It, it feels better to move around division two than what I remember in division one. Um, quality of life stuff, like some of the UI stuff is a little bit better. It, it could make some improvements, but I think it's still, it's still an improvement. Um, the shooting feels good. I think some of the systems they've done have brought things to be a little more reasonable in line. Like for example, um, weapon attachments are no longer randomly rolled. It's something you unlock for your guns and you can equip them whenever. Um, but because they're a little more curated, they can get a little more extreme and specialized with them without breaking the game. Um, that feels really good because there's still enough randomization in the guns you're getting, but they've they've curated a lot of stuff that still make it feel like I can customize, but it's not going to be like if I don't have this particular role of a scope, I can't do enough damage to kill the thing. Um, it's much more reasonable. That feels a lot better. I think overall, what I would say is it's not a fundamentally different experience, but it feels like a clear and very direct I was like, okay, but it's it's what's the word I'm looking for? It's an improvement over what they've been doing. They've refined it a lot better. That's what I want. They've refined uh, it to a point where it's it's the same kind of experience, but you know, for example, not like every single enemy takes five hundred thousand bullets to kill. You know, it's it's more of there's more enemies. They're a little bit smarter. Um, they they have different behaviors, and, and yeah, you get a bullet sponge here and there, but it's usually like a boss or a mini boss, and it it feels like appropriate you know it's, it's not like it used to be so like for you for example if if what tripped you up was the you know being unable to to suspend your disbelief to to see why i can put 100 rounds of an lmg into this guy it doesn't go down you're still going to get some of that but it's definitely lessened um i'm not sure you know how much of a deal breaker that is for some people it's still there but it's not nearly as egregious as it was before so 
it makes sense that they've gotten to where they are. I kind of missed the story in between when they were, you know, between when I stopped playing and when Division Two launched. But you can see the trajectory they were they were on and what people have described. And I think it's it's definitely a refinement of the same experience. It's not totally. It's not like Destiny Two where we're going. What the hell is this? Um, it's still Division. It's still delivering the same experience, but it's it's a better version of it. Okay. No, I mean I, I, that's really good feedback. I think, and I mean. I, and, I, and don't get me wrong when I say this, I'm not throwing shade at Ubisoft, but it really sounds like Division 1.75. If their uh, 1.0 update was really the, uh, you know, Division 1.5, you know, the, the kind of the Taken King level, like, rework or the Forsaken level rework as I'm, as I'm mixing games, um, it, it sounds it doesn't sound like this is a uh, an innovative shift. It's more of a... Uh, evolutionary change that directly builds upon the success they had. Which, by the way, I like that model. I'm not. I'm certainly not against that. Uh, if you couple that with, as Libby said, a bunch of quality of life changes, and then you got a whole new environment and maybe some different type of mechanics thrown in here and there, because it sounds like they've definitely tried to rework the Dark Zone concept quite a bit. That was a uh, a really cool idea that is extraordinarily difficult to to translate into reality. So it sounds like there's probably something there. And, and I know I, I poke fun at Pokey about this, no pun, no pun intended on that one, but um, I've legitimately been looking into Division 2 because I, I, what surprised me was there's there's a lot of people I, I, I know and game with or uh, even like content creators that I, that I follow that I've been following for a long time and I really value, I like their opinion. Um, they... You know, many of these people, they, they were kind of in the boat I was, like, just couldn't get into Division 2. There's a lot about the game they liked, but they just, they had some hard stops, and particularly ones that really had the, like, I really love the setting of Division. I like that that sort of, um, uh, you, you know, almost like hyper-realistic sort of world that they've built. I mean, everything is modeled beautifully. I mean, it's, there's a lot of awesome stuff in that game. Uh, if you, as long as you're cool with cover shooters, uh, so to speak, and then you could be okay with a dude in a tank top, you know, like basically tanking two magazines from a from an assault rifle before he went down, uh, you know, which was really my fundamental problem. Like I, like the, you know, the cover shooter stuff. I mean, they actually had a really a pretty decent cover system. There was a, the, you know, the combat was okay. I mean, I actually liked a lot. I thought some of the abilities and the, the deployables were really cool. They definitely could have iterated on that one, I think, further, but. There's a lot of neat aspects of the division I like. I really wanted to like that game. I just couldn't get past some certain aspects of it. Um, but what it sounds like is that you're describing, you know, this is a, a very natural, iterative approach to what they did in a positive way. Most people, most most time you'll hear that in a sequel, it's like, oh, they really didn't do, didn't do anything different. They just added some new shit. Sometimes that's not a bad thing. This sounds like this is a good thing, but, you know, it comes back to a lot of these uh, a lot of these other opinions I've heard that have a very similar mindset to me that have turned around a little bit on Division, for example. Like they've turned around and after having tried uh, Division 2, and they're like, no, this this is actually this is something I might want to consider putting in my rotation, particularly because Anthem, as much as I enjoy that game, it's, it's clearly got some problems. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, Anthem's uh, is even cast a deeper shadow on with uh, Division 2, as polished as Division 2 was, reportedly, at least because I haven't played it, when it came out, then you get Anthem. I like the concept of Anthem a lot better. I love 
the combat style better. There's a lot, a lot of more things I like in Anthem better just because I like that genre and that world um, just better. But if there's a polished game in Division 2 and they, they have eased up some of the pain points that I personally have with the game, and, oh, by the way, I, you know, if I have a lot of my, my gaming circle playing it, I, I probably am, you know, I might be willing to give that a shot, you know, buy the base game, give it a whirl, uh, see how it goes. And if I can, you know, kind of navigate it, does that become one of my stable games? Uh, you know, because with Destiny, you know, I, I, that's kind of like, you know, that's my main game. That's the game I'm going to play every week. Uh, but, you know, there's always going to be cycles and lulls of content, you know, that, that you need, particularly once you hit end game and you get level cap or something like that. You're sort of like, the fuck am I signing in for every week other than I just want to. Uh, but when you get something else to chase, and, and that's what it sounds like Division 2 is offering, is there's another chase in terms of leveling and builds and, and gear and things like that. I mean, it could be a viable product. I mean, certainly until, you know, for another, you know, 90, you know 30, 60, 90 days until Anthem kind of gets its business together. I, I, think there, I think it's one of those where I've heard enough where I, I am very concerned, seriously considering giving it a shot. And the reality is, uh, and we've talked about it on the show a few times in the past, Ubisoft, they have a reputation for putting out rough games. However, they stick with those games and they make them exceptional. They've done that in multiple different venues. This is one of the first times I think we've seen them in a while uh, outside of the old Rainbow Six series. Take a rough game, see it through, and but then they build a, a part like a legit sequel to it and then really build on that um you know obviously for honor is not you know that, that's more of a live service game uh rainbow six siege more of a live service game you know wildlands uh i don't think we're going to see a wildlands 2 i think you're going to continue to see a live service game model with that but this is their first i think real attempt to hang some meat on something like division and i suspect that they you know of all those properties i just listed if there's a tent pole for them or there's that, that kind of thing that they're they're going to like rally the troops around and, and pour assets into and, and continue to uh, make a large scale macro iteration on it, it'll probably be division. I mean, that's, I think their IP that they're aiming for. Um, so I, I think, I think that's kind of my, my hot take on it. I'll, I'll probably, by the time I get back home to Detroit this week, I will have made a decision where I'm going to like, you know, fire up the PS4 and download some, some division two and, See if I can put on some board shorts and a uh, and a backwards baseball cap and go around and smoke some people in Washington D.C. Uh, so I'll have to think through that one. But I, I will say this: like no shit, I, I do recommend everybody do some research and give it a shot and, and per- potentially give that game a shot. I, I'm certainly considering it. Yeah, I, I felt a little a little bad about kind of giving it a searing review on my second go around of the beta and then kind of coming back and going like, eh, actually, it's, it's not bad. Like I had a lot of fun playing what I did. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely worth looking at, um, in, in, like I was kind of getting at before, if you're looking at it to, if, if the core fundamental gameplay of division one was not appealing to you, this is not going to be appealing to you. That is still there. Um, but like, like you kind of mentioned, they've softened up a lot of the pain points a lot of people have in many different ways. And again, it's not fundamentally different, but it feels a lot better in many ways. And I think it's definitely worth taking a look at um, and maybe giving a shot if, if, you, if, if you're inclined. So um, yeah, well, obviously I'll, I'll probably be reporting back on this in, in a couple of weeks, kind of once I get into the end game and kind of get a feel for it. But 
you know, overall, it's been a pretty positive experience, and I, I certainly so far don't regret picking it up, which is which is good because um, I, I really did not like that second beta, but this this is feeling good so far. So um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and just a couple quick reminders before we go into shoutouts here. Uh, so Eve Amsterdam Fan Fest is this weekend. I kind of forgot about it. Um, if you weren't aware, Eve Online's uh, creator CCP puts on a fan fest every year. Usually it is in Iceland, but for 2019, they are not doing it in Iceland. Instead, they're kind of doing a world tour, and they're going to a bunch of different locations to um, uh, to, to do like smaller venues to kind of give people around the world an easier access to going to the event. Because like flying to Iceland is expensive, who, who would have guessed? Um, so this is, this is one of those events. So Eve Amsterdam, it's going to be going on this weekend. Um, also Final Fantasy 14 Tokyo, uh, Fan Fest. This is the third Fan Fest in their series they do for the new expansion. That's also this weekend. Um, I'm pretty stoked for that one because I've kind of picked up Final Fantasy 14 again, having a lot of fun with it. So I'll, I'll kind of report on that next week. Um, also, uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, this is the newest game from From Software, that's the people that make Dark Souls and Bloodborne, is coming out Friday. Um, I've already pre-ordered that, I'm going to play the hell out of it, we'll be doing a dungeon crawl series on it. Uh, I'll be posting those episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays on my YouTube channel, which is 10,000 Needles. We'll get a link in the description for the, uh, the video. And uh, if you haven't been following, uh, I've been posting our Resident Evil 2 playthrough on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays as well. So I'm going to kind of have a, a solid weekly block of stuff while I kind of work through some of the footage we've got. But uh, I'm really looking forward to Sekiro, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that uh, next week when we do the show. And the last thing I had is that if you are a PlayStation uh, player, if you go to Amazon.com right now as of the recording of this video... Um, the 12-month subscription for PlayStation Plus is currently 25% off. Um, so it's a really good deal. It's 15 bucks off of the normal normal price. So if you uh, are PlayStation Plus and you are up for renewal or you just want to extend it, um, I know you can ex just extend your current subscription by 12 months, even if you, you're far away from the end of the date. So um, I would pick it up. It's a good deal. It doesn't go on sale very often. So um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on this if you're a PlayStation user who plays online. So that being said, are you guys ready for shoutouts? Yeah. Okay. So my shout-out uh, goes to The Simpsons. They are apparently teaming up with uh, Riot Games to do an episode on eSports where Bart Simpson becomes an eSports player, and the title of the episode is E My Sports, which I think is hilarious. Um, so, yeah, that's my shout-out. Uh, Livy, you're up. Okay. So... Um... There is someone by the name of Jeff Cork, and I'm, you know, it's hard to tell from the picture, but I think it was probably in some game magazine, probably. Um, but he put out the question, Pokemon or prescription medication? And so they uh, put up the scenario of there being an accident and a truck carrying Pokemon has collided with a van carrying medicine to a pharmacy. And so I never actually thought about the Pokemon names compared to medication um, the actual medication name, not like their brand name. Um, so just to give an example, they have, um, oh, what's a good one here? See, the problem is I'm looking at them and I don't know which one's Pokemon myself because <laughs> it's been a while. But um, what's, what's a good, good one? I, Dump, I like Dumperidon. I, I like Celebrex. If you don't, Celebrex. Like that sounds like a Pokemon. Like no shit. <laughs> like a party Pokemon. 
But yeah, um, the post the link. I think it, it's funny to. It was funny. I thought it was funny. All right, uh, Jay, you're up. Uh, let's see. Who's my shout out? Oh, okay. I got one. I want to give a shout out to Rob. You know who you are, Rob. And I know you're not listening because I refuse to tell you what podcast that I'm on. But Rob is the guy who actually makes video games for the Army. Rob is your classic game dev, doesn't get a lot of sun, has kind of an odd accent, certainly certainly not a hit with the ladies or guys, depending on whatever your persuasion is. But he's not a hit. But he's baller-ass smart, and he lives on Cheetos and Mountain Dew. And he has a doctorate and a master's degree in an unrelated field. And uh, I just want to give him a shout-out because God knows he needs it. Like, as I watched him try desperately to interact in a social scenario over uh, over dinner tonight. Uh, that's it, man. I'm pouring one out for Rob right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. All right, NB, you're up, man. Um, I don't think I really have any... Any shout out this week? Um, shout out to living the good life, you know. All right, sounds good, man. And that's our show, guys. So I want to thank you all for tuning in. Um, and as always, if you want to be on the show or you have any topics you want us to cover, games you want us to play, do head over to biomass.com and let us know. That being said, have a good week. See you next time. Bye.